Google says it hasn't made a decision on whether it will limit links to Canadian news if the government's online news bill becomes law. Former Liberal MP Han Dong is seeking $15 million in damages from Global News over his reporting alleging Dong was part of a Chinese interference network in Canadian elections. The United Conservative Party of Alberta marked the most successful fundraising quarter in the party's history. And a major heist at Pearson Airport in Toronto has left a major bank out $22 million worth of gold and goods. Hello Canada, it's Friday, April 21st, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Rachel Emanuel. And I'm Andrew Lawton. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. So let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. A senior executive at Google appeared before a parliamentary committee on Thursday and indicated that the tech giant has not decided how it will respond if the government's controversial Online News Act becomes law. Bill C-18 would charge websites like Facebook and Instagram when Canadian news content is shared on the platform. The stated goal is to create revenue for Canadian journalism, which has seen a decline in advertising dollars over the past 30 years. Earlier this year, Google ran a five-week test to limit Canadian users from seeing news links. Google says approximately 1 million IP addresses were affected, or 3.3% of Canadians. Google executive Kent Walker said, quote, We have not reached a final decision as to what business actions we might have to take. During the committee, Google argued that C18 would prioritize clickbait content over local journalism and likely require the tech giant to pay publishers for non-factual or even misleading content. Google isn't the only one opposing the government's controversial bill. Meta, which owns Facebook and Instagram, has said it is considering blocking news from its Canadian platform in response to the bill. C-18 is currently being considered in the Senate. Man, this is such a crazy story, Andrew. I can't believe we've actually gotten this far in the process. I mean, I guess my question is kind of what's even stopping these platforms from blocking link sharing? We know Facebook already briefly did it in Australia when the government imposed similar regulations to what we're seeing right now in Canada. Nothing's stopping them. Now, in the Australia case, eventually they did back off and, and said that it was because they were able to get some compromises from the government, but they're private companies. And even though they will be heavily regulated with the reforms the federal government is putting in place, they do not have a legal obligation to offer any type of content. So if they decide, you know what, we don't want to deal with this news business anymore, we're going to just turn off the taps and you guys can't post your content here, there's nothing stopping that. And I, I think it actually is a really good effort to call the bluff of media companies in Canada who have been voluntarily and willingly using these social media platforms to promote their content and are now turning around and saying their content is being stolen by these platforms. The reality is news media in Canada needs big tech a lot more than big tech needs news media in Canada. You exactly raise a good point because news outlets receive so much benefit from having access to these platforms like Facebook and Instagram. You know, every Canadian has a social media account pretty much, but Canadians aren't really searching out newspapers accounts. They're not going to CTV News. They're not going to CBC News. They're not going to the Global Mail site, except for the rare few that actually really follow the news. So the benefit provided to outlets is far more than the benefit provided to, let's say, the actual owners of these companies like Meta. And the other thing is there's also a huge benefit to social media users who are using these platforms for free. A lot of people go to social media to find their news nowadays. And so it's been a very cohesive, I think, situation. I think it's benefited both parties and the idea that publishers would now, and the idea that companies like Meta would now be expected to shell out 
for a benefit they're already providing to news companies it is a bit of a joke in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree. And, and to be frank, I think that the tech companies will eventually back off if the government goes ahead with this. And the reason I think that is because these organizations are global companies. They have a tendency to comply with the local nuances of the regulations wherever they are. For example, I've had uh, tweets uh, that have been flagged by the government of Pakistan that have been blocked from being viewed in Pakistan because Twitter has just decided that we're going to go along with Pakistan censorship. So I think they go along with a lot more significant regulations. The difference here is that it isn't just a regulation that they can just uh, satisfy by deleting content. It's one that they have to satisfy by ponying up large amounts of money. I, I think the real thing to watch, though, will be when the government puts this uh, much-discussed online harms bill forward in the future, when all of a sudden you have these companies on the hook for huge fines if they don't start censoring content. I, I think we're, we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg here as far as what government is going to try to squeeze out of these organizations. Former Liberal MP Han Dong, now sitting as an independent, is making good on his threat to take global news to court. Last month, Dong resigned from the Liberal caucus following global news stories alleging that he had advised a Chinese diplomat that China should not free the so-called two Michaels, Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor, as their freedom would benefit the Conservative Party. Global also alleged that Dong was part of China's interference network, benefiting from China's efforts to meddle in Canada's elections. In both of these stories, Global News cited anonymous national security sources. In his statement of claim, Dong says both articles are, quote, false and defamatory. He says Global acted irresponsibly. The lawsuit names a number of Global reporters, including uh, Sam Cooper, an expert on the China file and the author of the two stories in question. Dong is also asking that the articles be retracted and removed from Global's website. Now, obviously, uh, threats based on news coverage are not new. As someone who's been in media for several years now, I've received these as well. Uh, typically, they never get filed in court because oftentimes the person uh, just wants to flex their muscle and hope that the news company blinks. In this case, Global hasn't done that. So uh, do you think he's actually going to follow through with this and bring this to court and, and force this to be subject to the disclosure that come along with a civil case? Honestly, I do think he's serious. I do expect him to move forward. I believe this is the second letter that he sent to Global News, this one outlining his specific demands. In this case, Dong is asking for $15 million in compensation from, from Global News for the alleged defamation that he's experiencing. So you're absolutely right. People love to threaten news outlets. Uh, in this case, Global News, you know, they have a legal team on staff. They also have insurance against this type of thing. So I suspect that even if they lose this defamation suit, it's not going to come out of their own pocket. It's going to come out of their insurance. So that's some of the benefit of having one of these bigger outlets is they are really prepared for these types of cases to happen. Of course, they do happen quite infrequently. And as a result, I'm actually really interested to see what happens here. I'm interested to see the extra details that come out of this case once it goes before the court, if it does indeed go before the court, and also the precedent that it will set. Well, and presumably, I, I don't know how it works when you're talking about stuff that is protected by national security rules. We would have to see from Global some of the documents that it reviewed and relied on in 
and writing the story, which so far have been described by the media reports but have not been shared. Canadians haven't been able to just go and, and look at these documents. And I, I don't know if in a defamation trial we would actually have access to that. I, and for example, I, I don't know if Sam Cooper has these things in his possession or just has reviewed them and couldn't even offer them up. So there are a few questions I have about how this will unfold, assuming it proceeds. It's definitely going to be very interesting to watch the logistics of this case play out, which is why, I mean, personally, I'm kind of hoping it goes to court just because I think it would be so interesting to follow. And as I mentioned, I'm curious for the precedent. And you raised some really good points about so much of this being national security documents. There's probably only so much that they can release to the public. I'm curious if there's some things that might even be privy to the judge, but not to the general public as a whole. I suspect that there would be. Obviously, in this case, we're also dealing with anonymous sources. And one thing that I was taught repeatedly in journalism school and I think still holds up to this day, unlike a lot of other things that I was taught in journalism school, is that a reporter never reveals their sources. So I'm imagining that Global News will not be revealing those names at any point during the case, although I could be mistaken in that. But yes, they're likely going to need some other sort of documents to back up the information that they have. So with so much being so secretive here, it is very interesting to see how this is going to play out. Alberta's United Conservative Party raised a record-breaking $4 million in the first quarter of 2023. That marks over half of the Alberta NDP's total donations last year. It also marks the most successful fundraising quarter in the party's history. UCP President Cynthia Moore said the achievement is proof that Albertans understand the importance of the upcoming provincial election and the importance of keeping the province moving forward under the leadership of Alberta Premier Danielle Smith. In total, just over $3 million was raised by UCP headquarters. A further of $840,160 was raised by UCP constituency associations. Although the actual total is expected to be higher, since not all donations have been reported to party headquarters. Elections Alberta will publish the Alberta NDP's first quarter financial fundraising numbers on May 4. In 2022, the New Democrats received $7.2 million in donations. The UCP also says it's now the largest provincial political party in Canada, with over 130,000 members. Well, Andrew, we know the polls have been pretty tight between the NDP and the UCP so far in the past couple of weeks, but this looks like a really good sign for the UCP headed into the provincial election with the writ expected to drop in the next two weeks here. Yes, elections are in large part about momentum. You don't want to be thrown off track with you know news stories and whatnot. And you also want to make sure you're mobilizing your supporters. And I, I know there was a lot of hand-wringing during the leadership race from uh, some of the old guard of the PC party of Alberta, which was one of the the two sort of founding parties of the UCP that, oh, if Danielle Smith wins the leadership, you know, they're just going to pack up and take their marbles and go. And uh, that uh, Tom uh, guy whose last name I forget because he's so politically irrelevant, the former deputy premier, he uh, has, you know, decided to campaign for the NDP because he hates Danielle Smith. But generally the, uh, P the UCP is a very strong party right now with a lot of momentum. And I think the proof is in the numbers. Absolutely it is. And they've had a couple bad financial quarters in the past number of years. So this is a really good indicator for them, as I mentioned, headed into the election. But also I think it indicates sort of the confidence that Albertans have in Alberta Premier Daniel Smith's leadership. I'm actually not super surprised to see these numbers because Daniel Smith was one of just two leadership candidates who was who was able to raise over, well over $1 million for her leadership campaign alone. So now we're looking at party efforts, and those have obviously been quadrupled. Not super surprising if you've been following the numbers. And I think arguably one of the reasons the party has had some poor fundraising quarters is because of the UCP leadership contest. It was quite expensive. I believe candidates had to raise $175,000 each. 
just to have access to the leadership campaign. And then of course, two candidates raising $2 million. So finally, now that money's all headed back to the party. And I think it's a good indicator, as you mentioned, of momentum headed into the election, which will occur on May 29th. Well, the script for Oceans 14 is basically writing itself right now. The RCMP is investigating a heist at Canada's largest and busiest airport, Pearson, just outside of Toronto. The Peel Regional Police said a container with more than $20 million in gold and other items was taken from a cargo holding area at Pearson Airport in Toronto on Monday. The theft happened, according to the Toronto Sun, in the early evening hours. A confidential memo says that it was actually a bank that was uh, the loser on this. Uh, TD Bank and the airline from which the cargo was taken was Air Canada. Police are providing few details on the investigation and it isn't actually without precedent. At uh, Moulton Airport, the precursor to Pearson, back in the 50s there was a large gold heist, which in today's dollars was for about uh, $2.3 million. There were no witnesses and the crime was never actually solved. So that gold is still out there. Now, uh, these things are kind of exciting because they're really the types of stories ripped directly out of screenplays. But this is, if you look at it in serious terms, actually quite a big deal that airports, which are supposed to be secure, uh, can have this much taken without, it seems like, any issue or any witnesses. Quite a fascinating story. I want to be, you know, a rah-rah law and order conservative, but I'm really just enjoying this story so much because that's exactly it. I can't help but think about the Ocean's Eleven movies that I have watched. I love movies like that. There's so much intrigue to them, and I know there's going to be a movie written about this, and I'm very excited to watch it. So I'm thoroughly enjoying the story. There's definitely a handful of people out there who are having a really, really bad day. The banks involved, obviously Air Canada, another big screw-up for them after years of seeming screw-ups, and you know, the individual whose gold was taken from the airport, I'm assuming he has insurance or the liability would fall somewhere else, but I don't know for sure. And so this is pretty crazy, but yes, airports are supposed to be the most secure place. Um, Usually you feel like it's almost too secure. I feel like if I step out of line, I'm going to get in trouble and I'm going to get kicked out. So it's pretty crazy that this happened here in Pearson. And I saw some reports saying the police are wondering if there was, you know, an inside job, if there was inside help. It kind of makes it seem like there would almost have to be an inside job. Like people had to have known that this gold was coming and would have had to have some inside access. And with $20 million at stake, you have a lot of money to be able to bribe people to come on and join you. Certainly maybe some airport workers who are feeling underpaid. And so this is a fascinating story. I I do hope it's solved just so that we know exactly what happens and we can get all the details. But right now I'm just going to enjoy the story. It's one of the funniest things that's happened in a long time. And I'm having a hard time even being angry at the thieves. I think this is just absolutely hilarious. It sounds like you've given this a lot of thought. You're already talking about like who's getting what cut out of the bribe of the $20 million. I, I must say, Rachel, when I first heard that $20 million was stolen in this day and age, I thought someone just nicked a grocery cart, but I was apparently wrong. No, no, we definitely stole the gold. I was actually involved in the heist. That's how I know so much about it right now. And this is the last podcast I'm doing. I'm going to take off and uh, I'm actually at the island right now. So you will not be hearing from me again. All right. Well, enjoy your time in the non-extraditable land that you're in. Yes. Thank you very much. Okay, well, that's it for today. And don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting us at Independent Media. You can do that over at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend.